0: day friends. This is Cordelia on the We Heal Together podcast. As I mentioned last week, I read all of the survey responses and I heard you guys loud and clear that you wanted some parenting tip episodes. Last week was the first parenting tip episode I did. I had Erin O'Connor on with Scientific Mommy. We talked about independent play. If you missed that out, if you missed out on that one, check it out. On today's episode, very, very excited and honored speaking with Judy Delaware of Feeding Littles. So if you aren't familiar with Feeding Littles, they're incredible. They have like over a million followers on Instagram and they are made up of two really incredible women. And today I'm speaking on the podcast with Judy Delaware, and we are talking all about baby-led weaning. I wanted to give you a little bit more info about Judy before we dive right into talking about everything. So Judy Delaware, she is an occupational therapist and feeding specialist. She's been providing home-based Feeding intervention with the infant-toddler population for around 20 years is how long she's been in her private practice, which is called Positive Therapeutic Beginnings, LLC. And then total, she's been working for about 39 years, and that's how long she's had of work experience with infants and children in private practice hospital settings and clinic she is also a mother too so she is able to combine her many years of practical parenting experience with sensory motor oral and child development training and she uses a really fun family-centered approach to do that if you are unfamiliar with feeding littles or if you want to know more about them I've linked all their info in the show notes I share their stuff to my stories a lot I think they're a really amazing resource for parents like I said earlier it's comprised of two different it's made two different people Judy and Megan so I'm talking to Judy today she's one half of feeding littles And the other half of Feeding Littles is Megan McAmey. She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. And she specializes in pediatric feeding. So, between the combo of the Judy being an occupational therapist and Megan with the registered dietitian nutritionist, really an amazing team of experts able to help parents. and I think it's incredible. They also have come out with online courses. So I've linked those in the show notes as well. They have really two separate courses. One is for babies. One is for toddlers. Babies about zero to nine months. Toddlers about 10 months to five years. So I've linked those in the show notes. We talk about it as well. They also have given all the listeners a coupon code to use, and it'll get you a discount on those just so you know I do not receive any compensation from that coupon code I just think it's really awesome and nice that they offered offered it to everybody so I'm definitely sharing it and you know this is in no way I'm I'm not advertising or marketing or anything I just want that resource available to you guys so that's in the show notes the coupon code is we heal together and I will put that in the show notes as well. Alrighty, so we will get right into the episode after a brief message from our sponsor. Let's get healing, friends. Time for a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As you probably know by now, I'm a huge advocate for people getting help from a licensed therapist. I think that's so important. Therapy has been really helpful for me in my personal life, not only in getting out of a toxic relationship, but even when I've not been going through tough times, therapy has really been a huge part of helping me feel more at peace and feeling happier overall in my my day-to-day life. BetterHelp is a really great resource for anybody that is wanting to take that next step and find a therapist. It's customized online therapy. It offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. So if you are not a fan of being on camera, that is an option that exists for you. It's more affordable than in person therapy. You can actually start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. They work to assess your needs and match you with a licensed therapist. So this network that BetterHelp offers, it has over 15,000 licensed therapists within that network, which is way more than most people have available locally to choose from. Also, let's say you get paired with somebody and on BetterHelp, and you decide for whatever reason it's just not a good fit, you can always switch therapist you can try somebody else and it's free to change at any point you know you can just let them know that you want to find another you want to try somebody else out this isn't self-help it's not coaching it's professional therapy and it's available worldwide so it's not just available to people in the United States or America and financial aid is available millions of people have already been trying better help and doing it And it's always a good time to start therapy and invest in yourself and get into a better space. So I'm really excited. This podcast, again, is sponsored by them, by BetterHelp. And all my listeners, all the listeners of the We Heal Together podcast are going to get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp. You just need to go to betterhelp.com slash Cordelia. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash Cordelia. Help is H-E-L-P dot com. And it's my name, Cordelia. C-O-R-D-E-L-I-A. I'm going to put a link in the show notes as well. Welcome, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for taking time to talk to me today. Thanks. I'm excited
1: to be here, Cordelia.
0: Yes. And before we get into all the fun stuff and learning about baby led weaning, I want to learn a little bit more about you and feeding littles and just everything that you've got going on. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're an occupational therapist and a feeding specialist. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So, oh, great question. Um, (laughs) so I'm an occupational therapist and I specialize in feeding and really what my, my occupation really does is I work with babies. So when people say occupation, well, and if you're working with small children, what's the occupation of a baby and that their job is to eat and sleep and you know, learn to do their gross motor and fine motor skills. But I became very specialized in feeding therapy um, kind of as a need back many, many, many years ago when I lived in Chicago and learned about um, what happens to kids if they've had a little bit of an interruption in utero and maybe they've had some heart conditions or some genetic issues that that means when they were born that they're just not eating as easily as they could be. Those are things that uh, as an occupational therapist and feeding specialist, I have become very specialized in doing for kids to learn how to be able to easily either breastfeed or bottle feed and then get them to the table when they're ready to be able to eat.
0: That's so incredible. And honestly, when you pointed out the, You know, I hadn't even thought about in preparing for the episode that I had never thought about occupational therapists in in terms of babies and that kind of training. And, you know, I think that's one of those professions growing up that you hear about, but you're just not really totally sure what it is and you get too embarrassed to ask. So I'm so glad that you explained that. Well,
1: and a lot lot of people will understand, like if, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm a physical therapist, you immediately know what that means. But when it comes to what I do, it's very specialized. So, and people always wonder, you mean there's enough kids out there that don't eat well, that can keep you busy? (laughs) And the answer is yes. (laughs)
0: Well, that's good. I'm sure that will make so many people not feel alone as well. And you've been in your private practice has been around now for 20 years. And you've been in your job in this position that you just described for 39 years. Is that right? It's been a long time. I it is a career that I have absolutely found to be my passion
1: and i'm just so energized by it and as you well know we're at the hopefully close to the end of the pandemic so for the last year and a few months i've been doing almost exclusively zoom telehealth sessions and just in the last two three weeks i started to go back into in person and it is it is night and day (laughs) i'm so happy to be back um it feels so good to be back seeing kids in
0: person absolutely i could. I can only imagine like what a difference that makes, but kudos to you for being able to pivot and navigate the pandemic because that's been a hard year for everyone I know. (laughs) Indeed it has, yeah. So tell me, how did you go about getting into your private practice and just going down this path and getting really deciding that you really wanted to work with that infant toddler population? Sure. Um, I started by working in a hospital.
1: And one of the things that I loved about being in the hospital is I saw, you know, I was working in the NICU, the NICU, and saw many babies when they were first born. But what I found was if I was working in the outpatient department, that there was a real gap in what happened when the baby went home from the hospital. And it's one thing when you're in the hospital and you're surrounded by a huge team of people (laughs) and everybody's there, but then the child goes home and parents are just like, oh my gosh, help me. I don't know where to start. So what I love about what I'm currently doing is when the baby's released and discharged, I'm one of the very first people that get to go into the home and meet the baby and help the family. And they they sort of feel kind of helpless in the beginning. They're they're just, oh, my gosh, I had so much help and support and um, really teaching them now that you're home. How is it going to go? And I love that. So I I work through early intervention and early intervention is something that is through the United States that children can qualify based on uh, medical conditions or that they have a delay. And it's a wonderful program that's out there. It's from zero to three. So that's what I really specialize in is children under the age of three.
0: That's amazing. I'm sure everyone, everyone who's home you enter must just feel like you're an angel (laughs) coming to Um, save them once they get home from the hospital. (laughs) That is, it is, it is, that is a word that is used frequently (laughs) and I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored and you're a mother of two yourself how has that influenced your professional life if at all in your interests in any way
1: great question well um as you can imagine my kids are both um adults um and (laughs) and i was very lucky because i i think i was just very gifted from day one, I just always knew about kids. When I was really little, I was like the Pied Piper in the neighborhood and babysat all the kids. So when I had kids, I was very fortunate that my kids were um, easy, they liked to eat um, our son maybe was a little bit more picky than the average. He didn't have his first salad until he went to prom. So uh, greens were not his thing, but he was so proud. Um, he's a very, very, very adventurous eater now, probably more adventurous than me at this stage of my, my life. But um, my kids just helped me practice what I preached. Um, and I think I think one of the things that I, I have found about parents that um, because of social media and so much of, you know, parents Google things when they don't understand is parents have learned to trust other resources. And I would like for parents to really trust their instincts. And I think that would be my best piece of advice is just sit back and listen to your, your own your own instinct of what are you feeling is going on with your child from time to time. Yeah, so it's, it's very confusing. There's a lot of information at your fingertips, especially at three o'clock in the morning.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I love that you're able to to weigh in from the the mother's side and your own experience as well there. <laughs> and turning to feeding littles. So yes. I love, 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 love your Instagram page. It's so amazing. For anyone who's out there listening, I would love for you just to kind of shed some light about what or who is feeding littles and how did it start and just any info you want to offer. Okay. Okay. So, um, (laughs) feeding littles, um, is, is right, right. It's hard for me to
1: describe it all in one sentence, but, um, Megan McNamee, uh, who is a dietitian down in Scottsdale. Um, she is my business partner and we make up feeding littles. How Feeding Littles came to be is because of a little boy by the name of Jack. And Jack was a client of mine, um, and his mom um, is still a very, very good friend of Megan's. And Jack was born with something called spinal muscular atrophy, and I was his feeding therapist and he died at the age of six months. And that was in 2011. And after Jack died, um, Jack's family was back in Scottsdale and um, coordinated um, Megan and I meeting um, and Megan was interested in doing some type of online class for parents, and we met, and it was true magic. We never <laughs> really met in person until after we had written our very first um, online course. Our very first online course was the t- our toddler course that was released in uh, 2015, and it was it was just magic. Um, meeting Megan. Um, changed my life. She says it changed her life, and um, we 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 come together with two areas of expertise. Her being a dietitian and knowing so much about food, me knowing everything uh, that I have just described about my background, and um, we both love teaching. Um, so that's how it came to be. It started with an online presence. We were really the very first training, online training um, in social media. and it started um, with a very small organic following on Facebook. and um, and then one day, she I'll never forget, she called and said, we got to get on Instagram. And I was like, wait, what's Instagram? I mean, you know, we've got a little bit of an age difference between the two of us. And uh, Megan is a master. She is a master at understanding social media, knowing the needs and being a step ahead of the curve. Um, I am, I am eternally grateful to be part of the business with her because She's, she's incredible. So, so we've grown, we've actually uh, grown to one point, I think we're at 1.1 1. 1 million people f- as far as followers on Instagram. We were, it just, it, it just was like a fast forward once we hit Instagram and, um, the The posts that go on on a daily basis um, really in, do a lot of engagement in that area. We also were lucky enough to be um, invited to go in onto Good Morning America, and we've been in numerous publications, many podcasts. Um, it's it's changed my life as a little O T, you know. So <laughs> it's been fun, and the passion for both of us is is very high and strong.
0: I love that. What a beautiful story and. Obviously very sad circumstances that brought you both together and wish that there was another way that you guys met, but I'm really glad that two amazing people got to connect and now you're able to impart so much knowledge to so many parents and people around the world. That's amazing. It is that, you
1: know, we get me, we literally get emails from all over the world. I don't know if we haven't hit a country yet, and because we we do um, have a lot of influence and parents ask a lot of questions and and um, we want to support. And I think the big thing that Feeding Littles has done is, is put feeding difficulties on the map. I think a lot of parents were afraid to ask yeah. questions like, oh, my gosh, my kid doesn't eat or my kid only eats a handful of foods. And I think bringing bringing the the Your area of feeding difficulties to the forefront in social media has just brought parents to say, oh my gosh, I need to talk to my pediatrician, or maybe I need to talk to somebody. Maybe something isn't going right. Um, Maybe this isn't a normal, you know, sequence of what my kiddos should be doing. So in that regard, I feel very fortunate that we've been a, you know, really a stepping stone for parents to feel comfortable asking questions.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's so innovative and it's, I mean, it's incredible to have a resource like that. Like you said, I think, I mean, I think in general, social media tends people paint these perfect pictures. And I do, I agree with you, you know, definitely at least like five years ago, even people weren't just like posting things about their kids or saying, oh, my kid's not eating very much. But even just looking at your following and how many people have been drawn to your account and the information that you're posting obviously this is a universal thing that people are struggling with so I love that that you have made that a topic and I also just love that you and Megan are both experts and it you know it's two people that are very passionate and knowledgeable about a topic and I think that's really amazing you know it it means a lot to be able to put out a course that somebody really could just learn so much from instead of, you know, sometimes I see courses from different people and you're not really sure like <laughs> what their expertise are or what you're going to learn. But I, I feel like that's really incredible that you two teamed up and have that resource for parents. So I love that.
1: Well, it's great. And, you know, and, and a lot of people are like, Judy, why are you still seeing clients, you know, and it, it, it really does energize and give us, um, ideas for more content just because the reality is things are constantly changing in the feeding world and, and parents know more and ask more questions. And, um, it's just, it's just so much fun to, you know, as you said, there, there is a universal, Mm -hmm everyone eats. And (laughs) I will tell you one thing that I have seen universally is that parents, I don't care what country you live in. I don't care what your social economic status is. If your kid's not eating, you're worried and you want (laughs) to know how do I go about, what do I, what do I do to make things get better? And, and it's, and it's really a gift because I think parents, reach out to one another and what do you mean your kid's doing the same thing what did you do how did you make it better
0: so I love that absolutely I love that so much and so now I want to kind of flesh out baby led weaning because I think that's a lot that's a term that a lot of people have heard you know especially parents I think that's something they've heard but I'm ready for you just to like give us some actual knowledge and educate us. So let's start at the beginning. What's just in the most basic terms, what is baby led weaning exactly?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, let's give credit to um, kind of the pioneer who started baby led weaning, who is um, Gil Rapley. Um, She's a nurse and a midwife and also a certified lactation consultant. She pioneered this, um, about 20 years ago, starting in the UK, um, called baby led weaning. And to define weaning, if you were in the UK, you would understand weaning means to start and to begin something. Whereas when I say weaning in the United States, a lot of people think, oh, you're weaning off, like you're weaning off the breast, you're weaning off the right. bottle. And so What true baby-led weaning is can be described that the child, when they're ready, so around six months, they would begin to eat solids, not baby food like jar food or purees. The idea is to give the baby the opportunity of eating solid foods right from the start, missing altogether purees and not having any spoons go into the child's mouth. Now, true baby-led weaning um, can be a little bit, like if you're really, really following true baby-led weaning, it can be a little bit more structured. And I would say feeding littles, we really encourage starting where the child is. Because from my perspective and Megan's perspective, kids come in all forms, shapes, and sizes and most important developmental skills. So baby led weaning um, and baby led feeding is not for every single child. There are children who might be having oral motor, swallowing problems, and that is not the developmental sequela that would be recommended for some children who are having more issues. However, for the average kiddo, And if you wanted to start, the idea would be you're handing the child stock-like foods and they're learning to be able to pick them up, bring them to their mouth. And the magic of learning to eat is all about when the child's hand touches the food, their reaction is to bring it to their mouth. They learn to be able to gnaw things in their mouth and slowly take bits and pieces and learn to be able to put things into their mouth and start to eat.
0: I love that breakdown. And so it sounds like from what you're saying, then the child then is in control the whole time of how much that child's eating. Exactly.
1: And there's so much research that talks about what happens when the child is leading, kind of leading the band, all by themselves. They learn about the touch of the food in their hand, that touch goes to their mouth. So if they're picking up something squishy, they know, oh, it's kind of wet. And so when they touch it with their hand, when it goes to their mouth, they're not gonna be surprised. And if you compare that with, if you put something on a spoon and you put that in that baby's mouth, who's who's to say, they're surprised. Like, where did that come from? They don't know because they didn't feel it. And there's many things about baby-led weaning that have some really strong characteristics that are better for the child to learn, say, you know, satiety cues, so they know when they're full. So, for example, if you've ever fed a baby with purees and you pour the food in the bowl and you scoop the spoon into the child's mouth. Many times there might be three or four spoonfuls left, and you're like, okay, a couple more, a couple more. But when does the baby get to say, actually, I'm full, I'm done? And that's really important. Um, and a big fact that baby-led um weaning and baby baby fed um, you know, where they're doing it their, their themselves helps the baby learn when to stop.
0: That makes so much sense. I'm even thinking about. You know, growing up, I would see in the movies or cartoons, they would always do, like, the airplane, you know, (laughs) where you're, like, trying to get the characters or trying to get the kid to open their mouth. And I think your point is really valid. That makes a lot more sense to let the baby or child start to understand and be comfortable in their own body and be able to to decide when they're full (laughs) absolutely and and
1: one of the really big um
0: you know advantages
1: of doing baby led weaning is we really want families to only make one meal the idea of short order cooking and trying to avoid that is exactly what we're trying to prevent happening in people's homes So yes, things like allergies will come up, but the idea and the goal is for the parents to make one meal, one food, and that's what everybody's eating for for every meal.
0: Uh, That's amazing. So when we think about like the other end of the spectrum, the purees, the baby food, is that what we would call traditional weaning? Yeah,
1: that would be traditional weaning. Um, and that's come a really long way. And I, I know we'll probably talk a little bit about allergies, but one of the things right. about when you do traditional weaning, you know, if you're introducing solids, the, the, new, the new way of doing it is if parents are going to do it is to really limit how long you do um, purees with your baby. Mm-hmm. I recommend no more than about two weeks so that you can have the opportunity so that you can have the opportunity of that baby learning what to do but then starting them on some true um solid foods um because it's really easy for baby to linger and then refuse the texture of that next type of food and we want to prevent that that is our goal
0: right that makes sense and as you talk about purees and baby food you know I'm just kind of thinking it's ironic that that's given the title like traditional weaning because I'm thinking how long has that even (laughs) been around you know how long has baby food been being made (laughs) well and it's
1: it's interesting actually if you ever have any uh time and you want to know about the what people did years and years ago i mean you know baby food was brought to you by you know companies who were who were you know decided oh let's let's start doing formula and let's start doing um baby food in jars but if you look at what parents were doing before the the you know development and introduction of jarred baby foods um, parents were doing exactly this thing. And depending on the country, they were doing a lot of gnawing on things and giving babies things or just doing, you know, kind of mashing things on their own. So, um, you know, it was, it's not necessarily a true need. Uh, you can do like, you can make it on your own and allow it to happen. So.
0: Right. That makes sense. So just to kind of sum up the difference is it sounds like traditional weaning then is you start with some kind of spoon feeding with purees or baby food or whatever you're using and then you kind of transition at some point to other textures exactly Exactly. okay yeah and then baby lead you just We're just eliminating the spoon feeding step altogether. Exactly. But,
1: and a lot of people ask the question, well, should my baby not have purees
0: at all? And I
1: don't think that that is um, what we're saying in any way because purees, things like, you know, yogurt, applesauce, I mean, you know, hummus, oatmeal, we want baby to be able to do that. So we want them to have a variety of foods, and textures, so they know what everything feels like. Cause we all use purees, you know, whether it's a dip or hummus, guacamole. I mean, those are all kind of considered a puree and those right. are pretty popular.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That I think that's a great point because a lot of times you hear the term solids, you know, when it comes to baby led weaning. So I guess when you think of the word solids, then what are you referring to?
1: Yeah, so simple things that could be cut into strips. So simple things would would be a a slice of avocado, cooked sweet potato, a strip of um, scrambled, you know, you could do like a fried egg and you cut it into a strip. I love starting kids with things like uh, pancakes, waffles, French toast. And I love just doing things like that. And then we begin to introduce um, a lot of those early allergens. You know, so even a smear of little bit of peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, those are things that are really important um, because we know that we don't want to wait about introducing allergens to kids. Those need to be introduced often, early, and frequently, you know.
0: That makes sense. And when you were talking about the first things to kind of introduce, I think you mentioned, unless I misheard you, this usually baby led weaning usually starts around six months Mm -hmm. is that correct okay yeah and is there anything is there any type of food that parents should prioritize I know you know that there's some research that suggests that babies iron stores for example tend to start decreasing around six months so I just wonder if you recommend like iron rich food or is it just kind of what you said, trying different things. So babies should
1: be getting, you know, their primary source of nutrition until they're around 12 months is going to still be a combination of breast milk, fortified, um, formulas. So they should be getting all their iron rich stores through that, but you using, using foods that include meat, um in the very beginning is really important and I always tell parents I want them to start giving babies everything under the rainbow to begin with different colors different um, textures different flavors and parents might say oh they only are gravitating towards the fruit and we really recommend if they're, if let's say you're giving them some sweet potatoes, some raspberries, and maybe some chicken, and let's say they down all those raspberries right away. And then the raspberries are gone, but the sweet potato and the chicken is still there. You wanna, you wanna continue to really encourage baby to develop that pattern and palette of trying new things. Some parents will say, oh, well, I tried it. They tried the sweet potato and they didn't like it. And I will always go back and say, how many times did you try it? Oh, we just tried it once or twice and they didn't like it. So exposure is really important. And what that means is the child needs to see it in a variety of um, instances and circumstances, and they see it over and over again. Um, and they become more familiar. So exposures are super important. So if they've only had it once or twice and you say they didn't like it, just remember they're still learning. So yes, yeah, so it's important, I think, not to get in an, into a rut of feeding the baby the same thing, like, oh, they only want fruit, they only want certain colored foods or something. It's really important for that to be a variety especially before the nine to 10 month, um, part of the baby's development, because then they start to become, um, noticeably like they're, they're choosing things on their own and we don't want them to choose. We want to continue (laughs) to offer that big wide variety.
0: That makes sense. And so just to kind of back up to be sure I'm clear. So babies then continue to either nurse or drink formula in those beginning stages, yes. you know, when you, when you're starting to try baby led weaning around six months and is food sounds like it's kind of complimentary then at that point, like with the.
1: Absolutely. And they're, okay. they are learning, you know, there's a, there's a term that. Megan and I don't like a lot and they say food before one is just for fun and that couldn't be further from the truth <laughs> food before one serves a purpose and it's complementary. but they're learning and when parents right. say oh I've waited until they're 11 months old and I haven't introduced anything um it sometimes it goes okay but many times kids are like this is foreign I've only been drinking you know breast milk which is of course you know, liquid gold and we love breast milk, but it's also, it's also really important for the oral motor skills of that child to learn that texture needs to go into their mouth and they need to learn what it feels like to put something in, play with it, maybe swallow some of it, but it's a whole process. So that is really important.
0: That makes sense. And I guess at what point do the does milk intake start to decrease oh great question
1: so you know it, it in in my line of work what i see is kids around the time of around 12 to 14 months they naturally start to want to wean off of milk and really want to eat more solids um so Breastfeeding, you know, it depends. It's a very individual process. Breastfeeding is wonderful. Breastfeeding can go on. Um, uh, many, many moms want to continue breastfeeding into the second, into the third years. It's it's completely individual, dependent dependent on the family, um, and I completely support that as long as there is the introduction of solids, and solids are meeting their developmental needs, you know, their hands are grabbing food, they're eating more food. Um, It's a real balance, Um, you know, and weaning off of a actual bottle. um, We haven't really talked much about this, but I start to introduce open cups and straw cups to a baby as early as six months. So that they have the ability to start to learn to swallow small, little tiny, what we call boluses, which is just a small, a term for a small amount of liquid from something like an open cup or a straw. And again, that's a process as well. That takes time.
0: I love that you brought that up because I do, I feel like I've seen a lot of posts, like that seems to be a heavily... Debated kind of thing. So I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. In terms of, I mean, is there one that's better than the other? Or is it just one of those things that you like babies to try in terms of open cups versus? straw cup yeah yeah so we know that babies have skills
1: that are developing at around the six month of six month sub age and every baby is a little bit different but they're seeing you drink from cups all of the time and if you have got a baby who's about six months they've been seeing you drink out of your water cup or your coffee mug or whatever and if they're sitting on your lap and you're eating, I can guarantee you they are trying to reach and grab for your stuff. Uh, and the same thing, I, I can't tell you how many parents have said, oh, yeah, I've given my baby my cup. You know, it's hot. It had lemonade in it. It had tea, whatever. And they've tried to give them a little sip of something or they've taken the straw and put their finger on it you know how to use a straw and you know give somebody right. a taste. and oh yeah we tried that and uh, you know so so the skills are ready the child is ready for the development and i i love raising the bar because kids are ready and we want to continue to motivate kids to try new things And the longer they're on the bottle, the harder it is to get them off the bottle. Parents know that one. And so the sooner you have more vessels, that's what I refer to them, the sooner they learn to drink out of a variety of vessels, that bottle doesn't hold quite the, um, you know, the, the magnet that it did before. You know, you've seen kids who were like, you know, they want their right. baba. Their baba is gold. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, if I, if I mention that, you know, parents know what I'm talking about. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It, it sounds like you're really encouraging babies slash kids just not to get too dependent on any one certain, like to always drink from a bottle or always drink from a sippy cup or always you know trying different things sounds to be sounds to me like what you're encouraging or, or saying would be good right
1: and and you know the invention of a sippy cup was purely by um <laughs> some genius um you know product designer who said let's make a cup that doesn't spill but sippy cups Don't have truly a a place on the developmental chart. They were invented for convenience so that doesn't spill in the kitchen, doesn't spill on the carpeting. Um, But I can tell you when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a sippy cup. We drank from breast or bottle. I learned to drink from a cup, but, you know, mom only put a tiny bit in it. And then, you know, we then drank from the fountain at school, or you had a thermos, but we didn't drink, you know, kids didn't walk around with sippy cups. They didn't go from place to place with the sippy cup in their hand. And so it is a process that we've, we've kind of allowed kids to have, you know, and if, if the place can be that the child can learn to drink at meals, like where we drink a lot of the times, that would be the best way to be able to encourage it. And I think allowing the child to learn to be as independent as possible. Um, and, and only teaching them things they need to learn from with no steps in between, you know, so yeah. if you're on a sippy cup, then you have to eventually get on to an open cup and a straw. And we really haven't even touched on the developmental piece of what a sippy cup can do to the mouth itself, kind of puts the tongue in a Forward position, which is not necessarily great for tongue development, and that can impact speech and language skills.
0: I love that was so much great knowledge because yeah, I think be that's, <laughs> that's something that I mean, I I think it's just something that even I have never stopped to think about the origins of that. So if I'm understanding correctly, you know, let's say we have some parents that are listening that their baby still only a few months old, they aren't even to the sippy cup stage. It sounds like the best recommendation is to go the open cup and straw route and not even mess Correct. with the sippy cup. Okay, Correct. And then if you're already, you know, if you're already down the road where your kid is drinking sippy cup... Trying to now incorporate those other options. Yes, and and on our Feeding Littles Amazon shop, we just show tons of
1: products that prevent people from buying those sippy cups, and we we we've, we've made it easy to shop. That you can see it right there uh, on the Feeding Littles Amazon shop. We try to keep that up to date. There's a lot of products, and I can't tell you how many times Cordelia, I walk into parents' homes, and they'll I'll say, "Show me your cups," and they literally open a cabinet. <laughs> And it's like an entire cabinet of every cup you could possibly imagine. And I'm like, well, which one is? Let's say I'm seeing a kid and they're a year and a half. Which which one works? None of them. None of them work. I'm like, okay, okay, let's <laughs> let's so work crazy. on let's work on one cup that works.
0: <laughs> that's so good to know. I'm honestly so glad that you know you you talked about that because that's just something. I had never challenged myself to really look into. And I think so many kids, you just see them with a sippy cup. You know, there's your brain doesn't really think, like, oh, I should question this. Why is right. this being marketed? So I love that.
1: Right. And when you think about what do you drink out of? We drink out of water bottles, we drink out of straw right. cups or coffee cups. Um, Maybe if you're a bike rider or you have a, you know, a sipper bottle that you go to the gym with, you might have one of those. But those are really it, you know, we don't need,
0: we don't need, um, a a different type of nozzle to drink out of. Absolutely. So one question I was thinking you probably get all the time is teeth. Like I can imagine a lot of parents being like, I don't understand, you know, I thought we have to give a puree because they don't have teeth. So I'd love for you to kind of speak on, speak on whatever parent is out there thinking that right now. (laughs) Oh, and
1: I love it. Now I know it's a podcast and I actually have a a plastic mouth that I normally show. So I'm going to show it to Cordelia so she can Oh, I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. (laughs) She's pretty good to see this. But um, while I'm, while I'm opening up my little container here and she's yeah. going to get a big kick out of this. But um, <laughs> so think about this. When do when do all the teeth start to really show up? I mean, there's some babies that you know, yeah, maybe they'll have a couple of teeth by the time they're, you know, those first bottom teeth come in at around six months, top teeth kind of right right behind them. But if you are saying, when do those teeth come in? Kids don't get those teeth really like a full mouth of teeth until they're too. So we definitely don't need teeth to chew. So what I'm going to show you is oh my
0: gosh, I love this. I know. I sorry, you <laughs> guys uh, only she gets to see
1: this one. But so think about this, where kids need to learn to chew is back on what we call the molar surface. So if you okay. were to put your finger into your baby's mouth and kind of put it alongside where you would think the molars are eventually going to show up, That's the strength piece of chewing. And now what I want you all to do is the next time you eat something, I want you to practice and just pay attention. Where do you chew? You might take a bite of an apple using your two front or your your front teeth. But when you take that bite, you immediately propel it back to your molar surfaces. So the question is, Do babies need teeth to chew? And the answer is absolutely not. Their chewing surfaces are in the back of their mouth. And that's when you give them, if you've ever noticed kids when they're trying to chew or they're practicing teething, you'll see their index finger go in their mouth. They'll be chewing, chewing, chewing way back in the back. And if they grab a toy, they'll gravitate it towards the back. But my best suggestion is, number one, you don't wait until they have teeth because you'll be waiting forever. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, And if you've ever had a kid who's teething, probably the last thing they want to do is put food in their mouth. Kids who teeth usually gravitate towards, I want my bottle. And uh, they might want crunchy stuff. They might be chewing on a Hot Wheels, you know, that's what they really want in their mouth. So the sooner you put food in their mouth, or sooner, excuse me, sooner you offer food to them so they can put it in their mouth, the better they're gonna learn to do it. And so kids learn to move that food from side to side to side. So in the back is where the food should be going. And we don't wait until the teeth erupt and they have a full mouth of teeth to start feeding.
0: Well, I loved your demo and your verbal explanation was equally as good. (laughs) But that's awesome that, I mean, that makes sense to me, too. I'm imagining like babies being spoon fed and really just swallowing versus when they're eating solid foods, even though they don't have teeth. Like now they're learning to laterally kind of. Move side to side, and that that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> got it. You're, she's even got the lingo. That's great. <laughs> One of my favorite things is just to watch like a kid. Like if you you know it's Memorial Day weekend, you know while we're recording this, but you know I always tell parents, you know like if you've had chicken you know, eat off all the chicken and most of the chicken from the bone, like from a drumstick, but give and make sure there's no, you know, sorry, like gross stuff, you know, tendons and bones and stuff like that. And hand, hand that almost, you know, it's almost completely barren, but there's still like meat and flavor on there. Hand that drumstick to that baby and watch them flourish. That is one of my favorite things to do with kids is, and parents are always like, Oh, my grandma, you know, my grandma used to do that. with kids, <laughs> And it works because it's a perfect handle. They're not going to get a whole lot of food off of it, but it's a great way to practice. It's almost like a teething toy and a teething tool, yeah. but they're getting the, the flavor and the juice and they know what it feels like in their mouth. So.
0: Yeah, that's practice. a great idea. Yeah, And when you said wing, that just kind of reminded me, is there any particular shapes? that parent should be going towards, especially those kind of first starting out with baby led weaning. Sure.
1: Couple things. Um, I always tell parents this, if you have a child, first things first, safety is everything safety completely. You need to be aware. And when you have a baby, everybody should be CPR trained and choking certified red cross trained. So they know Babies, babies find stuff, cat food, dog food. They find things on the floor, they put it in their mouth. They find things that they shouldn't. Then that's part of having a baby. So that's important. Knowing also what are choking hazards. And there are a lot of choking hazards that parents need to become familiar with. And many choking hazards are just listed on the Red Cross. There's many places, just Google them, become familiar with them. But what a choking hazard is, can be defined, uh, many of them are going to be something circular. So like the size of a coin, the size of a a piece of cheese sometimes can be a choking hazard, just depending on the size, the thickness and the texture. So like a hot dog or a full grape can be um, considered a choking hazard. The number one, believe it or not, the number one choking hazard that people don't know about is fresh apple. So apple is one of those things that a child really can't bite down on easily by themselves, but apples can be given to babies, um, shredded, or can be cooked in some delicious, you know, cinnamon butter or something like that and cooked and softened. Obviously apple can be baked and into foods, that kind of stuff, but the other, the other thing is, it's just really important to understand, um, like popcorn or chips, those kind of things. Kids need to be able to know how to chew them. So there are choking hazards that um, any baby can get themselves into, and you want to know your skills of your baby and their abilities before you try to introduce something that might be harder than they're ready for.
0: Absolutely. and. That kind of reminds me when I was researching for the episode, there was, I swear, one of the biggest questions that I saw popping up on, you know, social topics with baby. Yeah, it was choking and gagging. So I wondered if you get that question a lot, if that comes up a lot.
1: (laughs) So gagging is something that all babies know how to do. And what they're doing is they're... They're protecting their airway. They are saying, no, 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 that shouldn't go down. And it is a learning process. The the gagging process incorporates all the structures within the mouth, and we wanna make certain baby has a good gag. Now, when introducing foods, and if you're seeing a little bit of gagging, but it's dissipating over, let's say a week or two, that is okay. A baby who is doing a lot of gagging when you're introducing any type of food and it's prolonged and it's excessive, that is something to talk to your pediatrician about Um, because that might be related to maybe how their tongue is moving or how they're transitioning food into their mouth. And, And people like me who are skilled in this can work on strengthening and coordination of skills um, if they need some exercises to see what's going on. Now, choking, obviously, is a very, very different story. So choking is something that can happen if a baby hasn't moved the food properly and they haven't moved past the, a, a good chewing skill and they're swallowing things whole. So that is a big, big, big difference. And I think if you go online, you will see videos of kids gagging. Um, And like I said, you wanna see a baby move through the gag and then start to do better with eating. But if you're seeing excessive that's lasting for a long period of time, I would suggest reaching out sooner to your pediatrician and asking for maybe a referral for somebody just like me to come and check out your baby.
0: Just send me to Judy, doctor, please. (laughs) That's what they need to say. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm curious is, and I don't know the answer to this question, but is there any data surrounding if baby led weeding leads to less pickier eaters? I mean, I would think. There is. And, (laughs) And it's very exciting data because
1: what we're seeing again is the sooner the baby can hold it in their hand and bring it to their mouth. Who's in charge of that food? The baby is. So they're learning about fine motor. They're learning how to you know, grasp and release something. They're learning how to guide it to their mouth. They're learning about different shapes and textures and feels of their hand. So that teaches them all those wonderful, really, really basic um, developmental skills of learning. So they're sitting in the high chair, they're in control, but there's also more research that is proving that um, kids are learning how to be able to become more satiated at an earlier point of the meal when they're in charge. Again, that, that is so stupendous because what we're looking at is kids learning their own ability to know when they're full, um, and you know we worry, we worry, worry about when when you're not in charge of taking a bite, um, or when you're in charge, or somebody else is in charge of knowing when you're full. I mean, if somebody was ever going to feed you, and you couldn't talk, how would that work? You know, I've I've had the opportunity of working in nursing homes years ago. And working with stroke patients or someone who might not be able to talk and feed, you know, having to feed a human, especially an adult, you look for cues, you look for them, you know, kind of pushing back, saying no, you know, maybe they still have food in their mouth, you know, think about all the feeding cues when somebody else is coming up to giving them food, you know, like the pace, you know. How fast would you, if somebody had to feed you a whole meal, what would that pace look like? So it, that one brings up a whole lot for me. So I think allowing the child to be in control is, is in, 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 in very important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a skill a lot of adults, you know, myself included probably did not learn until later (laughs) in life where you're. Being taught at an early age to really trust your body and listen to your body. And that's amazing. It's, it's, it's all about that. Yes. (laughs) So I imagine everyone who has listened to the podcast, I'm sure all the parents, you know, I know that we've talked a lot about babies, but for anyone who's listening and is like, okay, this was really cool. I want to learn more what courses do you have and do you have stuff beyond just babies Yes. Yeah, so
1: we have right now um two courses we have our infant and that teaches parents um how to be able to introduce solids and get started with um in, you know baby baby fed way um it's a great gift for someone um when they have just had a baby and then and that works perfectly from 6 to 9 months and then anytime after 9 months we have a toddler course that really talks about strategies and tips and ideas and implementation of now they're sitting in the high chair, but they're throwing things or they're refusing to eat stuff. So that really focuses on the much older child. And we're actually in the process of doing. Oh, you do have a doggy back there.
0: Hello, um, <laughs> I know his ears just shot up behind me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but that our toddler course, um, we're actually in the process of um, redoing and re-recording, and that really is going to go all the way from toddlerhood all the way to um kids in school so like 10 12 years old and it really talks about all the tips and strategies parents need to learn about behavioral issues and and just a wide variety of things so the courses are available online through feedinglittles.com and um they never expire um and they're there for you and if we ever do updates you automatically receive that update we also have an ebook that's embedded in both of our courses on how to wean babies off um breast or formula if if need be and those are in the courses um and that we just think that they're super helpful um and parents have just learned so much about being positive with their kids and impacting by their own modeling of what they're doing with their kids.
0: That's incredible. And such a good resource, especially in the busy lives nowadays with parenting. I mean, it's just so much easier to do it on your phone or on your computer or just on the go a lot easier. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you talking with me today and sharing all your amazing wisdom. You are incredible and a gift. And I'm so glad that I was able to speak with you. And I just know that so many people will benefit from listening to this.
1: Oh, Cordelia, thank you so much. It's been my honor to, to, to chat with you today. It was great.